scripture reading today is from Esther, chapter 7. It's a bunch of different <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Okay, here we go. Ahasuerus and Haman arrived at Esther's banquet. The next day, as they were drinking their wine, Ahasuerus said, What do you desire, Esther? Anything you say will be given to you. Esther replied, My sovereign, if I have found favor in your eyes, and if, I, and if it be your wish, I ask you to spare my life and the lives of my people. That is what I desire most. For we, my people and I, have been condemned to be destroyed, slain, and turned into chattel, ourselves and our children. Had you merely intended to make us slaves, I would have said nothing. All this has been told to me by a reliable source. Our enemy brings shame upon the imperial court. Ahasuerus said, Who is this person who would dare do such a thing? Esther replied, Our enemy is this scoundrel, Haman. Haman was terrified and shrank in the presence of Ahasuerus and Esther. At these words, Haman tried to sneak away. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said, I have seen it myself. Haman has prepared a gallows for Mordecai the very person who gave you this information. The gallows stands in front of Haman's house and is 75 feet high. Ahasuerus declared, that is where Haman will hang. So Haman was hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Only then was Ahasuerus' anger abated. Mordecai wrote down all these things in a scroll and sent copies to all the Jewish communities throughout the empire of Ahasuerus, both far and near, telling them that they should keep the 14th and 15th day of Adar, the days that they vanquished their enemies. They were to commemorate the entire month of Adar, for it was in that month when their lot had been changed from sorrow to joy. They were told to observe these days with celebrations and feasts, giving food to friends and to the poor. And the Jewish community observed all that Mordecai had said. Amen. Well, good morning. Like I said, when we started our service together, well, we... What a hard week. What a hard week that seems to come after a hard week before it. Feels like we're living in days that take up years. You know, in Scripture, sometimes it talks about how people live for 100 years or 700 years, and we say, that's not possible. Now I think it may be as possible. <laughs> I feel like during the last year, year or two that we've all lived 200 years. 200 years of frustration and pain. And we get bounced around from one difficult moment to another difficult moment, right? One moment we're talking about how it is we're going to address gun violence in our community. Lynn and I were both in Salem on Tuesday to speak on this issue. Yes, others were there too, to talk about how we might ban assault weapons in our community. That's an important issue for us to 
be involved with. A couple weeks before that, Lynn and I were at protests in front of us. Both of us got arrested. I never wanted to get arrested. But there you are. And that's an important issue. We're dealing with important moral issues about how it is we treat the alien. And what does Scripture say? Scripture says we welcome the alien among us. That we treat them with justice and kindness. But are we doing that in our country today? No. God have mercy on us. You read the story in the New York Times just this morning. Dr. Lux and I were talking about it when we walked in the door. About how children from all across the country in the middle of the night are being taken from detention facilities to a prison camp in South Texas taken with a few snacks and maybe a toy, kept away from their parents. This is the law of our land, and it is immoral. It is unjust. Children are being oppressed. And this week we get bounced around to another difficult moral issue. Who might sit on the Supreme Court of the United States? Highest court in the land. Now you might say, why do clergy want to speak on such a political issue? Well, the court has a lot to do with religion, including that very important piece of the Constitution that speaks about religious freedom. Religious freedom is at stake when we talk about who is going to be the next justice of the Supreme Court. And I'm sorry, but the president has nominated somebody who doesn't believe in religious freedom unless you are a white evangelical Christian. If you don't fit into that narrow definition of religion, you're not on Judge Kavanaugh's plate. So if you're Muslim in this country, Judge Kavanaugh is comfortable with the ban. That's not right. So before Christine Ford came forward with her allegations, I was part of a group of clergy that issued a statement that said that the court's powers are vast. The justice rulings impact everything from who is denied health care and who is turned away from voting and who is separated from the children. The Supreme Court will have numerous opportunities to advance or reverse justice. They will rule on the fate of millions of young immigrants. Gerrymandered congressional districts that undermine our democracy. The rights of businesses to refuse service to LGBTQ people and even attacks on the Affordable Care Act that could strip health care from millions of Americans with pre-existing conditions. These situations cry out for justice. And we need a justice who rules with justice, protecting the people that our faith call us to stand with, our neighbors who are sick, who are poor, who are beaten down, who are disenfranchised. And Judge Kavanaugh's record does not suggest that he will rule with this kind of justice. That's what we spoke of before Dr. Ford came forward. Now, after Dr. Ford came forward and she testified, and I bet you, like me, you were riveted to that testimony, her words were honest and they were painful. And afterwards, we heard from religious readers around this country, and some of it was disconcerting to me. Some of it was just disconcerting. 
Franklin Graham put out a message, and he said there's a battle being fought in our country between good and evil, between right and wrong, between light and darkness. It's not new, but it is certainly intensified in a very public way. Now, I could, I could read that statement. I could send out that statement and say, amen, there is a battle going on in our country. But you read the second part of the statement, and it's an endorsement of Judge Kavanaugh. It's a thank you to the members of the committee who would not back Dr. Ford, who questioned Dr. Ford, who said, why didn't you bring this allegation up a long time ago? Why didn't you bring this up 30 years ago? Well, we know the answer to that in this room. We know that people are frightened after they have been attacked, that the system does not protect people who have been attacked. You need evidence of that? Look at what Franklin Graham said. Look at the testimony that Lindsey Graham from my home state of South Carolina offered. He said, I'm a white man from South Carolina, and I'm told to be quiet. Come on now. I'm a white man from South Carolina, and nobody has told me to be quiet in my life. Franklin Graham actually said when Dr. Ford came forward, Believe it or not, he said that violence against women and girls should not be relevant, he said. Not be relevant to the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Now, I disagree. Because I believe that an understanding of Christianity that teaches that violence is acceptable is empty. And without an understanding of Jesus' ministry. So I sent Reverend Graham a book. I thought that he might, he might be looking for something to read right now. <laughs> so I ordered up from Powell's a copy of Susan Thistlewaite's book, Women's Bodies as Battlefield, Christian Theology and the Global War on Women. It's arrived. I don't know if he's taken the time to read it yet or not. But it's there waiting for him when he has the time. He's not the only one who spoke up from the Christian community. A lot of people did. A lot of people on President Trump's Faith Advisory Committee spoke up. Now, don't confuse this Faith Advisory Committee with previous Faith Advisory Committees that presidents have set up. Barack Obama had three Faith Advisory Committees during his eight years in office, and they represented all the different faith traditions. That's not true with President Trump. His Faith Advisory Committee only represents the conservative evangelical community. And a lot of those people spoke up after Dr. Ford's testimony, including Jerry Falwell Jr. He spoke up. And this is what he said. I thought after Jerry Falwell, we would be done with Jerry Falwell. Now we have, now we have Jerry Falwell Jr. But I figure some people think the same about me because I'm also a junior. Maybe they thought. But this is what he said. He said, Conservatives and Christians need to stop electing nice guys. They might make great Christian leaders, but the U.S. needs street fighters like Donald Trump at every level of government because the liberal fascist Democrats are playing for keeps and many Republicans are a bunch of wimps. That's what Jerry Falwell said. We need to stop electing nice people to office. 
I think we ought to be electing more nice people to office. I read that, and immediately I thought of Jesus saying, the greatest commandment is to love God and love neighbor. Don't we want people who love our neighbors to serve an elective office regardless of what political party they might come from? That's what I want. I think we have enough people who are mean street fighters in our, our government. But listen here. There is good news in the midst of all this bad news. There were religious leaders who did speak up and offer a word that ought to be heard. Jennifer Butler, who's the director of Faith and Public Life, one of my good friends and the former president of Barack Obama's Faith Council, said, I believe the survivors. Judge Kavanaugh's history of sexual violence makes him morally unfit to serve in a position of honor and respect on the Supreme Court. As a country, we desperately need national repentance. That means openly acknowledging our history and the present of cruel misogyny and changing course. Reverend Butler went on to say that allegations against Kavanaugh need to be fully investigated, not ignored for partisan gain, to help us build a future where everyone is safe and can flourish. Amen, Reverend Butler. I also believe in repentance, by the way. I look at Judge Kavanaugh, and as soon as he was nominated to the Supreme Court, I knew exactly who he was. Maybe some of you did as well, because I had opposed his nomination to the federal bench when he was first nominated during the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration. I knew his record. But I also knew this about Judge Kavanaugh. He's a smart guy. He's an intelligent man, a well-educated man, right? He went to Yale. That's a pretty good school. He's... He's, he's thoughtful, he's, he's, he's brilliant. And you look at somebody like that and you think, he could have made something with his life. <laughs> now a lot of people will say he has, he's been nominated to the Supreme Court. And maybe he even gets on to the Supreme Court. But I'm not sure that he's made anything of his life. Of the gifts that have been given to him. Now if he had, if he had grown up, if he had come out of high school and said, you know, I learned some, some bad lessons in my life. I did some really terrible things in my life. If he'd been open about that and asked for forgiveness, if he had asked for forgiveness and then dedicated his life to working with women to advance the common good, whether he was conservative or liberal, I had to look at him and admire that. But he's embraced cause after cause that puts women down. He wants to take away their reproductive health care choices. He wants to make it easier, not for victims of violence on campuses, but for perpetrators of violence on campuses. That seems flipped to me. I don't think he's made anything of his life. Reverend Dr. Amy Butler, who's the senior minister at Riverside Church, which is a church connected with us, with the UCC, 
She said that it is nearly impossible to be a woman in this country these days and believe that our lives are seen as having value and dignity. Those who are elected or appointed to serve the people must protect the people first, before their own reputations and institutes power. If scripture has taught us anything, it is God is always on the side of the silence and the dispossessed. And wasn't that what Esther was teaching us today too? In our scripture reading? That God stands on the side of the oppressed. And we hear that over and over in scripture, so I don't understand why Jerry Falwell doesn't understand it. I don't understand why Franklin Graham doesn't understand it. Except that they are white men who believe not in a theology of liberation, but in a theology of misogyny. That's what they believe in. Now, Reverend Butler said that we need to have an open investigation. And I agree with that. I've said that since these charges first came about, and probably so will have you. The FBI needs to investigate. And so now, Jeff Flake has stood up and said, you know what, before we have a final vote, the FBI needs to investigate. It took another white guy saying that, but yeah, we're finally getting an investigation. Except, you read the news last night? They've limited the scope of the investigation. The White House has decided who's on the witness list and who's not on the witness list. And told the FBI that they can only investigate certain charges, but not other charges. And the White House will decide if the investigation goes any further. Not the FBI. This is not an independent investigation. Nobody should have any faith in this investigation. I felt, I felt almost hopeful after that horribly long day, after that angry testimony from Judge Kavanaugh where he lied repeatedly, according to the fact checkers, about his youth, where he attacked women senators who questioned him. I felt almost hopeful when they said, at least there's going to be an investigation. We're finally going to get an investigation. Diana Butler Bass, many of you may have read her books. Great Christian writer. She said, how a society treats those who have lived with fear and pain of abuse reveals something of our communal soul. Compassion and justice both demand that the Senate engage in a considered search for the truth in the matter of the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Amen to that. Valerie Carr, who's the founder of the Revolutionary Love Project, said that it is a moral and legal imperative that sexual abuse allegations against Judge Kavanaugh be fully investigated before he receives a vote. I speak as a lawyer and a fellow alum of Yale Law School who believes that the integrity of the Supreme Court is at stake. As a woman who has survived sexual abuse, as a Sikh whose faith demands that we be brave in the pursuit of justice, and a mother who wants her children to inherit an America where all women are believed. Amen. Dr. Serena Jones, president of Union Theological Seminary, again another UCC-related institute, said our world is in a serious spiritual crisis when women who bring accusations of being sexually abused and assaulted are further victimized by being publicly shamed and denied the fear of hearing that they deserve. Amen, Dr. Jones. Now, it's probably no coincidence that these brave religious leaders who spoke up 
are women religious leaders. Could it be something in their shared experience that gives them the perspective, the ear to hear? If you're like me, you spend way too much time on social media. And all week long, people have been sharing stories of their abuse. You just look at the timeline on Facebook, one after the next. I was 15 when it happened. It was my brother's best friend. I was 16 when it happened. I got drunk at a party and I thought it was my fault. I was 20 when it happened. It was a professor. And I was scared that if I came forward, nobody would believe me. And that's what the abusers tell you over and over again. Nobody's going to believe you. People won't hear the truth. Women sharing their stories. And these are not stories that anybody should have to hear. But let's, let's be clear about something too. There are men who have these stories. Yeah? And we've seen men share these stories too. Stories of abuse. Now I've been, I've been perfectly open over the years about the family that I grew up in, the difficulties that we had in our household. My father's alcoholism and his mental health problems, his, his bipolar disorder, and the fact that he was abusive towards me and abusive towards my sisters. I've talked about this in plenty of forums and plenty of sermons and plenty of places over the years. But what my father told me is what I keep hearing repeated in all of these stories. If you tell anybody, nobody's ever going to believe you. That's what he would tell me. And I would hear him tell my mother the same thing. You want to tell your story? Who's going to believe you? I've got all the money, he would say. Where will you get your money? That's what abusers tell you. That the truth cannot be heard. But Esther told the truth, didn't she? She told it to the king. My people are being mistreated. They are being oppressed, and they need to be free. Dr. Ford came up, and she told her truth. How amazing that was. Now, she's privileged in a lot of ways, right? She's got a PhD. She lives in Palo Alto. That's about as privileged as you can get. But she's not a United States Senator. She's not a public figure. She's never testified before <clears throat> Congress before. And to do so in such an open way, such a vulnerable way, that was heroic. That should give us hope. Now I know that it's easy to walk away from this moment, to walk away from this time and feel a lack of hope. That's, that's understandable, because the system is not built on the principles of justice that we would want it to be. But in the middle of that, of that darkness, there are these flickers of light, and they come from Esther in the Scripture. And they come from Dr. Ford, being so courageous. They come from all of you 
who this morning as we welcomed each other felt comfortable enough to share tears and to share fears. It comes from all the women who are sharing their stories. It comes from all the men who are sharing their stories and saying, this is not the way the world should be. We want it to be better, not just for ourselves, but we want it to be better for our children and our grandchildren. Now, we know the world's not going to change overnight. This hearing's not going to fix anything. It's not going to resolve anything. We may still end up with Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court by the time this is all over. But our children are gonna have the example of Dr. Ford, just like they had the example, or that we had the example, of Anita Hill a generation before. And we're not going to end this struggle, we're just gonna keep on keeping on. We're gonna keep on going. We know that we might not see all the benefits of our work, but God willing, our daughters will, our sons will, our grandchildren will. Thank God for Esther. Thank God for Dr. Ford. Amen. Amen.